Welcome, ladies. Beruchim and Nimsaim and Nimsaot. We have uh, we have our work cut out for us today, as we usually do. We're starting a new sefer, Besimanataba, Sefer Shemot, and we're right at the beginning, Parashat Shemot. <clears throat> and this parasha, of course, is the introduction of Moshe Rabbeinu ala v'shalom. I'd like to read uh, some of the pesukim that are connected to the introduction, the way the Torah uh, brings forth Moshe Rabbeinu to the reader. So we, uh, we are told how he was in the water, and then Batya Bat Paro came out, and she saw the basket, and she brought it in, and she names him Moshe Vatomer Kiminamai Mishitiu. That we know. And then the Torah fast forwards. We don't know too much from that moment until Moshe Rabbeinu becomes a Gadol. And he goes uh, out to see his brothers, I guess the Jews. Sounds like he saw their, their agony, their suffering. Vayad ish mitzri make ish evri me'ehav. And he saw an ish mitzri, an Egyptian national, make, beating up. Actually, he was trying to kill him. Who was he trying to kill? Ish evri me'ehav from his brothers. Vayifen kovako. So Moshe Rabbeinu looks in both directions. Vayad ki en ish. Like we would say in the vernacular, the coast is clear. So he, he smites the Mitzri, he, he beats him. And then he gets rid of the evidence, he buries him in the sand. That's day one, which is the main focus of this class. I need to once and for all get this episode clear in my mind exactly what happened. <clears throat> but I'd like to tell you what happened on day two anyway. And then he came out on day two. And now two Jews are fighting. All right, nothing new. So he tells the Rasha, What are you doing? Jews are not allowed to raise their hands against... Well, they shouldn't raise their hands against anybody, but definitely not against a fellow Jew. And then, of course, he answers back, Who died and left you in charge? Are you coming to kill me? Are you going to do to me what you did to the Egyptian yesterday? Moshe Rabbeinu became afraid. Vayomar, and he said, Achen which simply means what I did yesterday has been, uh, has been publicized, has been noticed. And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately would have to run away and he would go to Midian. That's enough for now. I think we read a lot. <clears throat> and we don't know too much, too much more about Moshe. These are the two introductory stories that the Torah feels <clears throat> unnecessary for us to know he did 
uh, this on day one, and then he did something else on day two, and that's it. Now you know who Moshe Rabbeinu is. And the question, of course, is why is this the most important part of Moshe Rabbeinu's profile? On the first day, he defended a Jew against an Egyptian that was beating him up, and on the second day, he refereed two Jews that were fighting and gave the uh, Jew a, uh, a musab and told him, Rasha'ah, lama takere'echa. And that's it. Then we don't hear about Moshe. Moshe then goes to Midian and he gets married and he lives happily ever after until he'll return to be the, uh, to be the Redeemer. So the, the real question is, what's the significance of these two stories? Now, I hope I get to it. I mean, I'm trying to get to that answer to that question, but I cannot go to that answer until I understand the story correctly. As you know, this is a homage class. There's not a story class. And we come here every week to read the text and to understand from the words of the text exactly what happened. You see, if I was coming to a class without a homage in front of me, <clears throat> so I have a lot of leverage to make up whatever I want to say. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu, he looked this way, he looked that way, then he hit the Egyptian, and nobody would question it because that's the way we learned in the first grade. We basically know the story would happen. <clears throat> but when you start reading the story with a homage in front of you, now you have to deal with what's called words. And the Torah is, the main ingredient of the Torah is words. And you can't learn the Torah unless you study the words correctly. And then to see exactly why the commentaries said what they said. And always the commentaries are going to be uh, uh, subjected to the words. So let's, let's go to the story now. And let's start with the basic of all commentaries, Perush Rashi. And uh, you'll see that he didn't learn like me. Because when I told you the story, it says, uh, He saw an Egyptian beating up a Jew. So how do I explain it? I explained it. He looked this way, he looked that way to see if the coast was clear. And I thought I was correct. And then the pasuk says, Vayar ki en ish. And actually he saw the coast was clear. But she does not explain it at all like that, even though I think that is the most pshat way of learning the pasuk. I mean, that is the most basic way any amateur like me would read the pasuk and interpret it. But Rashi, who's coming to explain Pishutoshil Mikra, it seems is going to say a dirash here. Let's see what he says. So he says over here, Vaifen Kobako. He looked this way and he looked that way. So Rashi, as an introduction, <coughs> tells us some facts that the Pasuk doesn't tell you. <clears throat> who, was this, uh, who was this man that was getting beaten up? He was the husband of Shilomit Batavri. Okay, she was a flirtatious lady, and she wasn't known for such a good reputation. And anyway, that was her husband. Venatan Enavba, this Egyptian, had eyes on Shilomit Batavri. That's probably her fault because she uh, instigated it. And therefore there was a... Uh, I don't want to say that, but there was something going on between this Egyptian and Shilomit. At night, the Egyptian went into the house and he told the Jew, get out of your house, go to work. And 
And then the Egyptian went back into the house. And uh, I guess Shilomit, whether she knew or she didn't know, but that's what happened. And then he committed uh, <clears throat> immorality. All right, so that she tells us she thought it was the husband. Fine. She thought he forgot his, uh, he forgot his cell phone, he came back. And turns out it wasn't the husband, it was the Egyptian. And then when the Jewish guy came home, he realized what happened. And when the Egyptian realized that the Jew realized what happened, so he started to beat him up and attack him the entire day. It seems the intention was to kill him because I guess he didn't want to uh, he didn't want him to be around anymore. He didn't want to take Shilomit or because he didn't want to get in trouble somehow with the authorities. So therefore he was beating him up. And this is when Moshe Rabbeinu comes in and sees this Jewish guy getting beat up. Now, Ve'ifen Kovako. And Rashi says, Maze Kovako, Ra'a ma'asalo babayit uma'asalo basadeh. He saw in his Ruach HaKodesh what the Egyptian did in the house and then he saw what the Egyptian did outside the house. So this has nothing to do with looking to see if the coast is clear. He actually had a vision of the events that took place earlier uh, earlier on. Only a tzaddik can do this. So ve'ifen ko vako. He said this rasha. He already uh, committed an act of adultery in the house. And now, not enough that that's a big sin in itself. But now he wants to go commit the sin of murder. So, ve'ifen kovako. So that's the way that she explains the pasuk, which is a, it's a novel way of explaining it. I saw... There was a rabbi that's called the Maskile um, David. <coughs> He's Rabbi David Pardo. David David Pardo wrote a Perushan Nashi. And he says over here, very good, that what, what forced Nashi to learn like this? Why didn't he learn like me? He looked this way to look that way to see if the coast is clear. He says, because very simple. Two problems. When you're looking to see if the coast is clear, how many directions would you look in? Four directions. So it should say, So why is he only looking in two directions? I mean, to see the coast is clear, you got to make a, uh, a panoramic view. <clears throat> so therefore, that's why that she doesn't learn like that. The Lashon of Mechtam de David is, de mashma de nistaker. Sounds like he only looked two sides. He should have looked at four. That's why she had to bring in the agada to explain it differently. A nice, uh, a nice point from uh, Rabbi David Pardo. I have another point to say, but maybe made Rashi say this. The pasuk says, "Vayifen kovako." Vayar ki en ish. 
And what happened? He saw that the coast was clear. But wait, the coast wasn't clear. Didn't we say that on the next day, that Tamba Abiram, that's who was there, and said, oh, are you going to kill, are you going to kill us like you killed, uh, like you killed the guy yesterday? So therefore, there was people that were watching. So therefore, if Moshe Rabbeinu was looking to see if anybody's watching, well, he didn't do a good job. Because there was definitely somebody watching. So therefore, Rashi said, no, that's not the pshat. He was looking at something totally different. He was looking at action number one that the Egyptian did in the house. And then he was looking at action number two, what the Egyptian did in the field. Okay, but now according to this, what does it mean? Vayarki and Ish. How do you explain that? And he saw that there was no Ish. Oh, very good. Very good. Very. But now you understand why that she has to say that. Because already he locked himself in on the first explanation of Avif and Kobako. So now he's not looking to see if there's anybody watching. He's looking at the actions of the Egyptians. And now he wants to kill the Egyptian. But he can kill the Egyptian if somebody is going to descend from him that one day will be a Tzaddik. So therefore, he does a full body scan on the Egyptian from today until Mashiach. And the Pasuk says, Vayar ki en ish. That what? She'en ish atid latzet mimenu. Nobody is going to descend from this guy and be a bona fide convert. So therefore, basically, the guy's on empty. Because it seems that if Moshe Rabbeinu would have seen even one, you know, one jewel that would come out of this guy in 3,000 years, Moshe Rabbeinu would have said, all right, leave him alone. But Vayarki and Ish, nobody significant coming out of him. So Vayachet and Mitzri, therefore he, he killed him. I'd like to bring, uh, at this point, the comments of uh, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Alaba Shalom. In his sefer, Emetli Yaakov. Uh, he comments and says, well, and I quote, He says in his comments over here, "V'chi bedin mechuyabim ladaat ima mechuyab mita lo yelo banim hagunim at sof kol adorot." I want to ask you a question. Whenever you go to bedin, and bedin's going to kill somebody for a crime that they committed, is bedin obligated to know if there's going to be any future sadikim that can come out of that person? Of course not. And guess what? There's no way for them to know. So therefore, Betin's rule is we must kill the perpetrator that's in front of us. And we don't, we don't make calculations. Well, we know one day he's going to have a yeshiva guy that's going to be in a kolel, that's a good guy, and therefore we'll let the murderer go because he's going to have a great, 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 great who's going to be in mere yeshiva. We don't do that in the courts. The courts have to judge according to what's in front of them. <clears throat> but why is now Moshe Rabbeinu being so strict that he won't kill the Egyptian who seems is guilty, but he won't kill him if he has something that's going to good come out of him. So Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says a bekedush over here. Anybody know how Moshe Rabbeinu killed this Egyptian? Not, not, not where he buried him. 
but how he killed him. Very good. So you know everything. He used he used a holy name of Hashem. He killed him verbally. This was a verbal attack. He used one of the names of Hashem. I'm not telling you the name, so you don't use it against me. But the point is, there's a certain name of Hashem that the tzaddikim know, and if you say it with the right kavanah, it's deadly. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't even touch him. This was a handless, uh, touchless murder. It was remote. You know, the app, you push the button, and then the guy drops dead in front of you. <clears throat> so what happened was, this is called a mitah bide shamayim. This is not a mitah bide adam. So Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says, in a bedin, where you're using conventional methods to kill the person according to human ways, then you have to just kill the person. You can't make cheshbonot. You can't make calculations. But here, this is called a death using shamayim. So now you have to play by the rules of shamayim. You don't play by the same rules. And therefore, you can't just kill a person using a name of Hashem if somebody good's going to come out of him. Although that's not a method used in a conventional bedin, but if you're using God, so to speak, to intervene to kill the person, so then already there's a different standard, there's a higher standard, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu needed to scan to make sure nothing was going to come out. And his language over here is, when it comes to God punishing somebody, they take everything into calculation. And God would give him a, 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 a suspension of sentence if indeed somebody would have come out. And Moshe Rabbeinu was able to verify that that's not the case. And therefore, in, even in Dinesh Shamayim, in God's court, the man was considered, was considered guilty. So that's the way... Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky understands why Moshe Rabbeinu had to scan. It was because of the standard of Bideh Shamayim. Very good. So that's, that's the, uh, the introduction over here. Now, I must tell you that there's another approach in this, in this Pesukim, that's brought by the great rabbi called Oznaim LaTorah. Oznaim LaTorah says something that I think is so significant because history repeats itself. So whatever's going to happen in the, uh, in the story of Moshe Rabbeinu with this Egyptian is going to happen uh, in the future and we have examples of this repeat. Let's go back to the story for a second and make the following observation. Moshe Rabbeinu goes out to his brothers in the field. Vayar ish mitzri. Doesn't say he saw mitzri. He saw ish mitzri. What is ish? Hashuv, man of distinction. Okay, that's interesting. Ish mitzri, man of distinction, hashuv. Okay, I don't know what makes him hashuv exactly. And then the pasuk comes along and says, So he looked both ways, like we learned, and he didn't see anybody. Now he's just called Mitzri. What happened? Originally he's called Ish Mitzri. And now all of a sudden he's only called Mitzri. 
something happened. How do you go from being uh, Ish Mitzri and then one Pasuk later you just turn into a Mitzri? It seems he was, he was downgraded. Oh, you know what? I wasn't going to bring this into this picture now, but you brought something up. There's another example that in this week's parasha, where we see somebody is called initially Ish Mitzri, and then instead of just being called Mitzri, he's actually upgraded to call Ish. It's a reverse story. Anybody know that story? So I'll tell you the story. It's right after this. <clears throat> so Moshe Rabbeinu goes to Midian. He ran away. And he gets to the well. And the Pasuk says that there were seven daughters of Midian, of, of, of Yitro, at the well. Ulchohen Midian Sheva Banot. He had seven daughters. Vatavona, and they came and they were drawing water. And the shepherds came and they were harassing the daughters of Yitro. And Moshe Rabbeinu came and he saved them from the harassment. Now watch. They come to their father, the Uel. It's Yitro. Yitro had seven names. This is one of the names. They say every time he had a daughter, he changed his name. No, but that's, I'm just kidding around. Why did you come home so fast today? It seems usually they were late. They were, the, they were pushed to the last of the line. And here they came home early. So the oil says, But <coughs> Tomar, now what do they answer? Ish Mitzri Hitzilanu. So you see, initially Moshe Rabbeinu was called Ish Mitzri. And Vayomer el Benotav, Vayo, where is he? And then, Lamma Ze'azabtem et Ha'ish. And then Yitro says, why did you leave the Ish? They call him Ish Mitzri. And Yitro says, Ish, what's going on over here? So it's interesting, you have a reverse story. This guy starts off in our story. He starts off as Ish Mitzri, and he just ends up as Mitzri. And Moshe, on the flip side, starts off as Ish Mitzri and ends off as Ish. In this story, Ish. What's going on? I saw beautiful Al-Sheikh. I wasn't going to tell it to you, but because I'm so generous, I want you to hear all the Hadushim, so I'll tell you the Al-Sheikh. It's unbelievable. Rabbi Moshe Al-Sheikh was one of the great Darshanim in Sfat 500 years ago. He would give Darshot to the whole congregation, and the Arizal used to attend the Shi'ur of the Al-Sheikh. That's how... That's how great this rabbi was. Rabbi Yosef Karo called him Rosh HaDarshanim, the head of all the Darshanim. <clears throat> and not too many tzaddikim have the, uh, the, um, the name Kadosh. And he has that in his, uh, uh, the suffix of his name, Al-Sheikh HaKadosh. So, he says something amazing. The daughters of Yitro resented their father. I mean, today some, some girls do that. But why did they resent? He was a Hashuv guy, he was a priest, he was the high priest. Could you imagine all the kavod the family was getting because of their father's uh, stature? 
I mean, they treated them on a pedestal. They got everything carte blanche and always, you know, cut to the first of the line. Oh, your father's your throw, please, you go first. Oh, your throw's your father, please, like this or that. They got all the amenities of life because of their father. <clears throat> and now all of a sudden, their father became a Baal Teshuvah. <clears throat> That's why in this parasha, he's called Re'u'el. Re'u'el means friend of God. He became the friend of God. And although it was very good for Yitro, but it wasn't so good for his daughters. Because now, first of all, nobody wanted to work for Yitro. That's why Yitro's daughters had to do the shepherding. Because everybody said that the guy's a kofir. The guy used to be one of us, now he's, 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 he's became Jewish. So therefore, let him go uh, find his own workers. That's why the daughters now had to go to work. So they weren't so happy about their father's, uh, you know, newfound uh, God. And not only that, every single day they would go to the well, they get harassed. So they were not too happy about their father's uh, religion change. It wasn't so good for them. They weren't taking it so, uh, so good. So now let's pick it up with that information. So the Pasuk says... <clears throat> It's, they come to Re'u'el, and that's in a negative way. Now here he is, Re'u'el, the friend of God. Now Yitro says, ah, you came early. You came early today, something happened. So you see, you're always blaming me that you're getting harassed, and nothing's going right. Today you came early. So therefore, maybe my change to a new religion is bringing you good luck. So what do they answer back? No, daddy. Ish Mitzri Hitzilanu. An Egyptian guy saved us. A guy who worships Abu Dazara. It was an Ish Mitzri. He worships Abu Dazara and he saved us. So therefore, what, 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 why did you have to convert? There's no difference between uh, 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 you and the Ish Mitzri. It's a good guy. And what does Yitro say? Impossible. Ish Mitzri is not going to save seven strangers at a well and risk his life and risk his reputation and risk his time to do it gratis without getting compensated. Impossible. First he tells his daughters, where is he? Says Al-Sheikh, he must be an angel. That's why he disappeared. He's an angel. He's not an Egyptian. And then he comes along and says, and if he's a human... He's not a Mitzri. Bring him. He must be an Ish. Drop the Mitzri. He must be an Ish that believes in the same God that I believe in. Because as I'm studying about this religion, I start to see that this is the way of the Jews. That they're concerned and that they care and that they do, and they do chesed. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu is told is referred to by the daughters of Yitro, Ish Mitzri. And Yitro says, impossible. He's not an Ish Mitzri, he's an Ish. Now let's use this in our story. If you know anything about the history of the Jews in Eastern Europe, in Germany, the Germans were considered, at least, masqueraded 
as decent, decent humans. Uh, turns out, later on, we realized that they were anything but human. They were animals. They were vicious. Uh, they were ferocious. But you, you wouldn't know it because the German would come home like most sophisticated people and he would have a, a, a starched shirt and a, a, a tailored suit and he would take his napkin before dinner, cloth napkin, and put it you know, under his collar so he doesn't uh, dirty his clothes. He would eat with a fork and knife. He would say good evening to his wife. He would have sh- the music of Schubert in the background, a symphony playing. And they looked very sophisticated. And you might uh, uh, make the mistake to think that these are decent, uh, ethical, moral people. But then the next day, that same uh, person that ate with the napkin under his collar was fueling the fires of Auschwitz. And therefore, they were anything but decent and humane. They were animals. Well, Moshe Rabbeinu learned this on the first day of the job. The Pasuk says, Bayar Ish Mitzri. When he came out, Moshe Rabbeinu thought, the Egyptians are like, uh, like the Germans. Ish, Hashuv guy. You know, he has the, the, maybe he's walking his dog. Maybe he says, good morning. Maybe he has proper, uh, uh, you know, social uh, uh, values and so on. Moshe Rabbeinu, on day one, says those names of the Torah, he looked like the Mitzri was an Ish. But then he says, Vayifen Kovako. He saw in his prophecy what this man did. The man committed adultery in the morning and now is committing murder in the afternoon. The Pasuk says, Vayar. You know what Moshe Rabbeinu came to the conclusion? Ki en ish. He's not an ish. He's an animal. The ish mitzri. En ish. Moshe Rabbeinu said, scratch the word ish from ish mitzri. The man is just a brute. And in the Lashon of the Oznaim, the Torah, he writes, Vayarki en ish, en ish omed lefanav. There's not a human standing in front of me. Ela haya adam. An animal, in the image of an adam. toref v'shoeg. A wild lion. And that's, and that's already a precursor to what we know would happen. Uh, those, those Goyim, those Germans that looked so human to us, but then already we saw, ki en ish. There's no ish. There was not one ish in that society. So that would be another way of learning the Pesukim. Ish mitzri, and then the Pasuk would say, vayar ki en ish. That the Egyptian himself was no ish. He was just a wild, vicious uh, attacker, subhuman. But what I came to tell you today, that was all introduction, I think it's a good introduction, because we really explained the Pesukim in a proper way, using the text. But this is what I came to say today. This is an old dirashah from a rabbi called Rabbi Azariah Ficho, who was an Italian rabbi, he lived in the 1600s, and he would give Derashot, and his Derashot become famous, 
and he writes them in a sefer called Binada Itim. I have the sefer, and Baruch Hashem, this is the, uh, the paper that came down from heaven, and Baruch Hashem, I'm going to repeat to you an old vintage derash, at least 500 years old, maybe more. It's old, but it's, it's beautiful. So he says like this, it says 25th derasha, it's in, on this Pesukim. He has a question. What does it mean in the Pasuk when it says, Vayar ish Mitzri, okay, he saw an Egyptian man, Makeh ish Evri, Me'ehav. What do you mean Me'ehav? Of course, ish Evri from his brothers. Well, if he's ish Evri, if he's a Hebrew, that means he's from Moshe Rabbeinu's family, whatever, he's Jewish. What is the word Me'ehav? The Pasuk could have read just as well. Vayar ish mitzri ish Oh, you want to tell me it was a brother of Moshe, meaning a, a landsman, a, 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 you know, a, a community, part of the same community. We know that. Moshe is Jewish. The guy's Jewish. Obviously, it's me'ehav. What does the Pasuk have to tell us? Also, did this bother you? It bothered me. Rabbi Fitcho doesn't mention this, but this bothers me. Vayar ki en ish. What did he see? Nothing. So that's strange. You don't use the word seeing, so he didn't see. Do you say, I mean, maybe today we talk like that. And he saw nothing. Now, the Torah doesn't talk like that. It should say... He saw that there was nothing there. Seeing sounds like he saw something. If I say, he saw something. And no, 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 false alarm. He didn't say anything. So he didn't, so he was, my question is, was he a bayar or wasn't he a bayar? He, he was a bayar or he wasn't? Bayar ki en ish. He didn't see anybody. So he didn't see. So it was not Bayar. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, that's my question. You don't like it? Fine. I like it. <laughs> I'm the moderator, so I get to ask the questions. So there you go. Anyway, he says something beautiful. I'm going to read you his derasha. Listen closely. When Moshe Rabbeinu got of age, he went out his brethren. Why did he go out? Big Hadushi says it, just in passing. Lilmod mehem darche ha'am vetnaguto. He wanted to go, listen, he was raised in the palace. He wants to see how the Jews behave. He has to learn. He wants to see the hitnagut. He has no, uh, 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 he didn't go to you know, Hebrew school. He went to the school of Paro. So now he goes out to see how Jews live. What's their behavior? What's their way? He wanted to learn from them. But instead of being impressed, he found them in a very low, depressed state. He saw not that they were being 
persecuted, because if it was that they were getting persecuted, the pasuk would have said vayar sevlotam. He saw their agony, but here it means vayar besevlotam. He saw that they themselves were in a low place. Besevlotam, their own uh, 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 oppression. Kikara mashihu. Something happened that day. That broke the spirit of Moshe completely. Moshe Rabbeinu was looking to get impressed by the Jewish people for the first time. And when he came home that day, he was very uh, deflated. Moshe Rabbeinu was always bothered. Why is this happening to these Jewish people? Why is this happening to them? They're good people. Why is God bringing them to this place and causing them this undue suffering. Moshe Rabbeinu is a tzaddik, he's trying to understand what's the reason. So he says, On the first day, he sees an Egyptian man beating the Jew. These are not just, you know, taps on the shoulder. That means these was intentional to kill him. Murderous attack. Velo befina asher en ish And this was not done in a corner. Lo befina. It was done in public. Ela me'echav. Metoch kevusa shel b'nei Yisrael. Yeah, he's learning the pasuk. When the pasuk says... This was not done in an alleyway, in a back alley where nobody was watching. It was done in the middle where all the people were standing. Amongst his brothers. That means all the Jewish people were standing there and watching it. Uh-huh. They were all standing there. This was done in full view, watch, watch, ladies, I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> this was done in full view of the, of the people. Me'ehav, mitok kibutash ha'bene Yisrael. So ve'ifen kovako. What is Moshe Rabbeinu looking? Turns to the right, he sees a bunch of Jews, and what are they doing? Nothing. They're watching the fight. Ve'ifen ko v'koi looks the other way and he sees a bunch of Jews with their arms like this. Apathy. Doing nothing. Watching the fight. So the pasuk says, Vayar. He saw. <laughs> he saw a lot of people. But you know who he didn't see? Ki en ish. What does that mean? He didn't see an ish. The Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot, in the name of the great Rabbi Hillel, in a place where there is no body to stand up for the right thing, where there's nobody that is going to save the oppressed and nobody's standing up for the truth. Hillel says, Hishtadel, you must make an effort, Liyot Ish. You have to be the man in a place where there is no man. And that's the way Rabbi Fitchur learns the Pasuk. Ba'if and Ko, he saw Jews. And he went Ko, and he saw Jews. 
But what he didn't see is, there's no ish over here. How come everybody's allowing their brother to get beaten up, and if nobody intervenes over here, they're going to kill him. And everybody over here is fine. So he comes along and he says, Nobody cares about this. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the people are so broken and they're so downtrodden and they're so mentally oppressed that they can't even, they don't even have the, the, the courage, they don't have the strength or the energy to go make a, a protest. He didn't judge them uh, unfavorably on day one. But until day two comes. And on day two, what does he see? Now he sees two Jews fighting. Oh, so the Jews are not so uh, passive. The Jews are not so weak. The Jews are not so uh, 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 powerless. Guy lifts his hand up to beat the other Jew, to hit him makot. Which means, where were you yesterday? You know how to raise your hand. Why didn't you raise your hand against the Egyptian? Yesterday I said you didn't raise your hand because you're too weak, you're too docile, the Egyptian uh, got to you. But it seems that you still have a violent hand. So instead of using your hand when you should have used it yesterday to protect the Jew, you're coming to use it against the Jew? And now Moshe Rabbeinu says, this nation over here has deteriorated to such a level where nobody will stand up when the Jew is in trouble and the contrary, the only time he'll stand up is to defend himself against another Jew. And now what is the answer back? Now the answer is even worse than what he saw. The Jew answers back, Who left you in charge? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And at this point, Moshe Rabbeinu says, they're more worried about the death of the Egyptian yesterday than what's going on here today. It bothers them more about the death of the Egyptian. Are you going to kill the Egyptian? What do you care if I kill the Egyptian? Who cares? The Egyptian is, 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 is the Nazi. That you become so disoriented that you're making the rasha the tzaddik and the tzaddik the rasha, you're, you're worried that I killed the Egyptian, you should give me a, a, a purple heart of honor. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Now I know why we're here. Because nobody will stand up, there's no ish, nobody's standing up for justice, nobody's standing up for the right thing. On the contrary, the Jewish people are defending the, the wrong, and when it comes to the to the right, no, nobody is uh, uh, nobody is there. And ish, there's a unbelievable perush of the Gaon Mevilna on Perkei Avot. I would recommend it, but it's not an easy perush. What he does is he sources every teaching in Perkei Avot from a pasuk in the Torah. 
to prove to you that these ethics that are told us in Pirkei Avot were not just made up by the rabbis. Anything that's said in Pirkei Avot, he shows you somewhere in the Torah where that ethical lesson can be uh, originate from. It's a very important pirush. Because we say ethics from Sinai. And he proves that all these teachings are from Sinai. But when it comes to this Mishnah of Hillel, for some reason, he doesn't comment. Well, I would venture to say this afternoon that the source of that Mishnah, that where there is no man, you must rise up to be the man, the story is right here in Parashat Shemot. That is the Mekor of that Mishnah, Moshe Rabbeinu. When the Pasuk says, is all the people standing in any, there's no man over there that's going to stand up for justice. If I wasn't here, nobody's going to defend this Jew. They're going to watch him get bludgeoned to death. And then the next day, you're going to come along and have claims why he killed the Egyptian. Uh, it's topsy turvy world. It's uh, what's going on over here? That might be the source of that Mishnah. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence. Who's the author of that Mishnah? Hillel. The Kabbalist, Megale Amukot writes this, say that Hillel actually was the Nitzotz of Moshe Rabbeinu. Was the Nitzotz. He had the spark of the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu. Just as a fact, not too many people live a full 120 years. One of the few people that lived 120 full years was Moshe Rabbeinu and Hillel. And there's others also, but my point is that Moshe and Hillel definitely have that, uh, that connection over there. And there's other proofs that the Megalah Mukot brings in order, and he actually brings it from this week's Perashah, that you see that Moshe and Hillel were connected. And therefore, no coincidence that Hillel is the one that says, because he himself... In the previous moments, as, in the, in the, as Moshe Rabbeinu did, uh, he already stood up for the, for the justice. One side point, and it's not a side point, one observation. What does the Mishnah mean, Hishtadel lehiyot ish? Uh, try. Try? I would say more than try. I mean... We're talking about now a man that has courage. Uh, it should say, you know, a stronger word. It means, you know, okay, you should try. Try. That's the problem. Nobody's trying over here. Uh, trying is, 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 a, is a weak word. Right? It should say, get up and, and, and do it. Exactly. It should be a strong word. But sounds like, you know, you know, listen, you, uh, make an effort. If you can, if you can, you know, but I don't think the Mishnah is it's the wrong uh, connotation. I think the Mishnah is telling somebody who's able to do justice, you must. So I found, to my delight, I went back to see the first, one of the first fights in history that the Torah records. That's when Yaakov Abinu was fighting with the angel. The Pasuk says, Vayavek Ish Immo. Vayavek. Now she has many explanations what Vayavek is. He says it's from the word Avak, dust. 
Because when people are wrestling, the dust comes off the ground. So they were, there was dusting. Or some say, Vayyavik is like, Vayyahabik. They were hugging each other. Because ever see the wrestlers, they, they hug each other, they try to knock each other down. So Vayyavik is like, Vayyahabik. I'm not explaining this, but I'm go look at that sheet. It says it. But I looked at the Targum, that for some reason that she doesn't tell me. Vayyavik, Vayishtadal. Ishtadal. So now I see that, at least according to Targum, Ishtadal doesn't just mean try. Ishtadal means Vayavik. Vayavik means what? You have to fight. And therefore the Pasuk is the Mishnah Perkavot is using a word that you must be fierce. You have to be willing to, 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 to wrestle and have tremendous givurah and strength. If you look at the um, If you look at the, uh, the way the Targum explains the word Ish. In our parasha, Ish Ivri, Gevar. Gevar, what's it Gevar? Gibor, Gevar. And therefore, Shtadeli Yot Ish. You have to be willing to, to fight. Fight for the justice. Okay, well, congratulations. We have now figured out, at least according to the Pshat, what this pasuk and what the story, how it goes. We gave different interpretations. Uh, let's just review the interpretations quickly. Then I'll make one, one cherry on the cake and then I'll say Shabbat Shalom and I'll be on my way. We have the interpretation of Rashi. Rashi says, He scanned what the person did in the house, what he did in the, in the street. She saw nobody's going to come from him. No one's going to descend from him. And therefore, he killed them with the Shema Meforaj using the standard of God. That you can't kill somebody mitabi uh, deshamayim if somebody good is going to descend from him. According to the Oznaim uh, Natorah, Rabbi Saratskin, originally Moshe Rabbeinu thought that the Nazi was ethical. He thought he was an Ishmitzri. But then when he saw what he did, the immorality in the house and the murder that he tried to do in the street, the Ishmitzri very quickly, Moshe Rabbeinu said, there's no ish here. Vayar ki en ish. There's no ish in this mitzri. He's just a hayat torefet. Hayat betsurat adam. And then we saw, according to the uh, Rabbi Ficho, he's explaining over here that vayar ki en ish, there was no ish in the Jewish people. This was done in plain sight of the Jewish people. Me'ehav. He did this in front of his brothers. And nobody said anything. Vayar, he saw, but he didn't see anybody rise up. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Bimkom she'en ish, ish. I must be the ish, and I must rise to the occasion." Now that we have the story down pat, now we have to ask, go back to the original question: Why are these two episodes, the story of day one? with the Jew getting beaten up by the Egyptian, and the story of day two with the Jew, two Jews fighting, why is that the main stories on the resume of Moshe Rabbeinu? I wouldn't expect that. I would expect to tell me his learning, his, uh, some, of his, some of his prophetic uh, you know, abilities and prowess. And, no, these two stories, as if to say, this is all you have to know about Moshe Rabbeinu. So I saw in the Sefer, well, there's so many papers over here. I saw on the Sefer Ben Melech from Avleid Minsberg. He has a beautiful explanation. 
He says, Moshe Rabbeinu alav shalom has two functions in his, in his service to Klai Yisrael. His first function was, he's the goel, he's the redeemer. I mean, in the, in, in, in the most obvious of sense, he took us out of Egypt. He's the Go'alan Shli Yisrael. He was the one that risked his life with Paro. Paro wasn't an easy guy to deal with. And Moshe Rabbeinu, at great risk, would go in and threaten him and uh, you know, tell him all you know, uh, harsh words and was not intimidated. And all this Moshe Rabbeinu did for the, for the sake of Christ. And he even talked to God at, at some point in a strong way because it pained him What's going on with Klai Israel? And eventually, Moshe Rabbeinu brings the people out of Mitzrayim. Good. So he's the Goalan Shal Yisrael. What else is Moshe? He's Rabban Shal Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the teacher. After all, leaving Mitzrayim was not uh, the end of the, of, the, of, the, of the game. The purpose of leaving Mitzrayim is to get us to Har Sinai. If you remember, where did God appear to Moshe Rabbeinu? At the burning bush. Anybody know where the burning bush was? Har Sinai. The burning bush was at Har Sinai. So God said, you're going to come back to this exact spot in 50 days and I'm going to give you the Torah and then you're going to take off your Goel hat and you're going to put it on your, I guess, black hat and you'll be the, 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 the rabbi of Christ. You're going to be the, uh, or maybe it was a turban, but the point is, you're going to be the Rav Shal Yisrael. So therefore, these two stories show us that Moshe Rabbeinu had it in him. On the first day, what is Moshe Rabbeinu doing? He's a goel. He sees a Jew in trouble, and nobody's doing anything about it, and Moshe Rabbeinu steps in, and he saves the Jew. This is an indication that if Moshe Rabbeinu will go out and risk his life to save one Jew, he's going to save one day three million. This is a, the chromosome of, the, of, the, of Moshe Rabbeinu's midah of goel. Day one, you see, that's the Goel in Moshe. You see why he's going to be worthy. He's willing to risk himself and go out to save Jews. On day two, what does he tell the Jew that's beating up? Halakha, what are you doing? You're not allowed. Haram, you can't raise your hand. Oh, now Moshe Rebidu on the second day shows us his strength in being a, a teacher. So on day one, you see Moshe the Goel. On day two, you say Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, the teacher. That's it. That's the, the snippet of the two Moshe's that are going to emerge. And they emerge very quickly on day one and day two. And now you'll see what happened in the micro on day one and day two is going to happen in a macro. He saved one Jew on day one. He will save three million eventually. He saves... He teaches one Jew a lesson on day two. Eventually he will teach many. Now based on this, he explains wonderfully a Gemara in Sota. Gemara in Sota, and, and we're done, but it's a beautiful piece. On page 12, remember we started the class by saying that Batya pulled Moshe Rabbeinu out of the water? Anybody know which day? Uh, now finally I got you. Something you don't know. Which day? Fine, it's okay. I don't have to know everything. Which day? Okay. Which day did Moshe Rabbeinu get pulled out of the water? It's a mahloket in the Gemara. That's the right answer. Mahloket. Everything's a mahloket. The Gemara says 
according to one opinion, it was the 21st of Nisan. Anybody know what happened on the 21st of Nisan? Kiryat Yamsuf. And therefore the angels tell God, God Almighty, on this day, on this day that Moshe Rabbeinu is, is, is going to Misha Atid, the Jewish people, and Moshe is going to lead them. That's going to say Shira on this day, in the future. You're not going to save him? We need him to be available for this day in the future. So the angel said, okay. God says, okay, save him. Second explanation, which day was it? Very good. The 6th of Sivan. The 6th of Sivan. And the angels come to God and say, this day, which is going to be the day that Moshe is destined to give the Torah to the Jewish people, you're not going to save him? So we have a mahlokit. Is it the 21st of Nisan or is it the 6th of Sivan? Leib Mintzberg says, beautiful. The Gemara over here is not discussing the dates. Elu ve'elu, they're both correct. The question over here is, in what zechut is Moshe Rabbeinu going to be saved? He's going to be saved because of two different functions that he serves. And those functions are seen in the most, uh, 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 the most obvious uh, sense on the 21st of Nisan. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu took the stick and split the sea and saves the nation from the Egyptians. On 21 Nisan, Moshe Rabbeinu is the Goel. And on 6 Sivan, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu is the Rav, when he gives the Torah. And therefore, the Gemara is not telling us this day or that day. It's saying because of these two events, that's what's going to save Moshe Rabbeinu. And those two events, so we could say better, the event of the 21st of Nisan, the DNA of that event was the first day when he came out and he beat the Egyptian and he killed him. That's the Goel, which would be on 21 Nisan. The second day is the DNA of Moshe Rabbeinu, what's going to happen on the 6th of Nisan, when he starts to teach the people, Halachot, Rasha, Lama Echa, this is against the law. And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately wears both these hats, and ultimately he becomes the Go'alach Yisrael. So that is a, a beautiful, beautiful interpretation, why specifically these stories were picked out, because if you need to know who Moshe Rabbeinu is in, 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 in one paragraph, these are the stories that will tell us exactly why he was chosen. And not only that, but we see that he lived up to his potential. On the 21st of Nisan, he lived up to the potential of day one. And on the 6th of Sivan, he lived up to the potential of day two. Okay, we'll stop over here.